You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. My name is Christian Corley. Welcome to the show. This is your weekly dose of tech tips and tricks for anyone who isn't all that familiar with technology. In this week's show, there is no tech news. We're going to go straight into the tips and tricks that are brought to you by myself, Christian Corley, and my co-hosts, Ben Stegner and Gavin Phillips. We are going deep into the rabbit hole of Linux. <laughs> uh, now you're probably thinking, and I guess uh, just a little uh, handy hint for Gavin, this kind of uh, ties in a little with my other recommendation. Um, seven myths about Linux that you should stop believing. Now, I started using Linux kind of by accident, basically, because it's... Um, because I'm quite keen on the Raspberry Pi computer, and the majority of operating systems for the Raspberry Pi are Linux. I think it's 99% of them are Linux, with I can only think of one exception at the moment, and that's Risk OS. Uh, so you probably think that Linux is for a very special group of people, such as developers and coders. That's not the case. I use Linux on a day-to-day -day basis. I have not developed anything for years, although my wife gave me a really good idea the other day. Um, Another thing about <laughs> Linux is you think that it's all about command line use, don't you? But it's not. There's a beautiful desktop. I'm using the uh, Ubuntu 22.04 LTS at, uh, operating system at the moment with the Nomad desktop. It's beautiful. It's fine. It's perfect. It's completely mouse-driven. I occasionally use the command line, but not very often. Linux isn't suited for gaming. Wrong. We'll come back to that later. It's hard to find apps for Linux. Um there's a small number, and it is a shrinking number, of apps that you can't use on Linux comfortably, such as um, the Adobe Suite, Microsoft Office, and others. Uh, you can install Microsoft Office on Linux with an application layer software called Wine. You can probably do the same with Adobe uh, applications, as far as I know. But then again, there are perfectly good alternatives. I do most of my work using LibreOffice. Uh, you can there's a whole suite, well, not a suite because they're all separate, but there's a whole selection of um, graphic and uh, video editing and audio editing apps that are all an alternative to the Adobe suite. Linux can't be infected with viruses. Hurrah! Yes, it can. Um, it's it's <laughs> not. I mean, look, look you've, you've heard of um, websites going down and websites being attacked by viruses. The majority of websites out there run on servers that have Linux operating systems on them. So, yes, that is a risk. Linux is only used on servers. Well, it's largely used on servers, as I've just explained. Linux is too fragmented. Now, you could say yes to this. Um, it depends how you feel about the idea of there being lots of different Linux operating systems which have different configurations of software, and while they all rely on the same Linux kernel of drivers and, um, and, and, and uh, high-level software... Uh, at the same time, it it does give you the opportunity to find an operating system that you that really feels like you can just get on with. Whereas with Windows and Mac OS, it's Windows and Mac OS. 
that's all you're getting. With Linux, there's a whole family that you can choose from to find the one that suits you the best. That works for a lot of people. It may not work for you, but it does work for a lot of people. Uh, so, um, yeah, there are a lot of myths around Linux, but um, it, is, it isn't it is as... Um, I mean, I the only thing I can code is web pages and CSS, and there's no coding done by me. I just use Linux, and it works perfectly well for me, so... I think quite a few of those things are becoming more and more debunked as we go on as well, aren't they? Um, things like the the uh, gaming on Linux, it's, it's easier than ever to do that now, isn't it? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't believe how easy it is, actually. <laughs> I think as well, one of the things that did put me off using it for quite a long time, actually, was your second point, which was uh, you have to master the command line to use... Linux and for a long time the thought of having to learn an entire new sort of programming or control language for a whole new operating system was a bit like oh my god that's, that's <laughs> overwhelming when you see like you know Linux professionals say going you know you just enter this in the in the in the terminal and it does this and you go wow that's fantastic but the reality of it is that all of the best uh, Linux distributions come with really, really good graphic user interfaces these days. And some yeah. of them are really customizable as well. So you can take it wherever you want to go if that's what you want to do. I would say I probably know the Linux command line better than I ever knew MS-DOS. And that's just through occasional dipping in, really. So I, I guess you pick it up as you go along if you want to. But, I mean, there's plenty of people who didn't want to go anywhere near MS-DOS back in the day, and as soon as there's the opportunity to load uh, Windows 3.1 or whatever, then they took it. So, yes, it's um, it, it, it all balances out. But it, it is definitely not as complicated as you've been led to believe. Regular listeners will know I recently got a new phone. It's a, a Nokia XR20, which was reviewed on MakeUtsOff. And, uh, you know, we all think we know about phones and yeah, how to use phones, issues surrounding phones. But it turns out a lot of the things that we think we know are actually myths, aren't they, Ben? Yeah, there are plenty that I think myths are interesting because some are some used to be true, but aren't anymore because the technology has evolved. You have some that are there's some a kernel of truth, but it's been taken too far. And then there's some that are just like urban legends that are, you know, scribbled on the bathroom stall or the underpass of the bridge. And it's just, they never <laughs> go away because it's just like a popular misconception. I really like the featured image with this article because in the middle, there's a HTC with our old, um, I used to have a HTC, I forgot which model it was now. And it had a really useful news tool, which was miles better than the Google news offering at the time. Anyway, I um, was going to say looking at these images is like a blast from the past because there's a Windows <laughs> phone in there and there's like an iPhone yeah. 6. That is funny to see like that era of phones. I, my first smartphone was an HTC, but it was an older model than that. It still had physical buttons. Actually, it had, it had touch buttons. Like they were, the, how do I phrase this? The buttons were like built into the device. Right. So like the four symbols were like on the device, but it wasn't like you pressed the button and it was still like a touch sensitive spot. It Windows so it was, Mobile. No, it was an HTC right. Evo 3D. It was on okay. Sprint, and it had two cameras on the back that could take 3D pictures and videos, which was super gimmicky, oh, but yeah. pretty cool idea for the time. That was back when 3D that. was still on its fad. Yeah, my wife had a uh, LG phone that could play 3D, and uh, it was it was 
real battery eater. But the other thing about this LG phone, which uh, came in useful for uh, helping our readers, was that it had a HDMI port, of all things. Oh, like a mini HDMI? Yeah. Or a full size? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It wasn't full size. It was mini or micro. I can't remember which. Anyhow, back to the point. Um, popular smartphone myths that aren't true. Number one, apps running in the background should be closed to save battery and avoid slowdowns. There's loads of things that you should do with your phone before you consider even doing that. And in most cases, it's not required because Android and iPhone, or iOS, I should say, will do that automatically for you anyway. So, Yeah, this this one drives me crazy. I don't want to start go too much into it, but I think we talked about this before. I see people do this all the time, and it always drives me crazy because people like constantly swipe away all the apps on their phone and the switcher every time before they, they lock their phone. And I say, this is like if you closed your browser every time you wanted to go to a new website. <laughs> like the apps in that list are there for you to be able to easily switch between and jump between, not that you have to force them closed all the time. So that, yeah, it drives me crazy. I used to, in the early, early days of Android, I used Task Killer when I didn't know any yeah. better, but yeah, yeah. I haven't done it in a long time. Number two, you should let your battery drain completely before recharging. Now, yeah, don't do that. Um, Lithium-ion batteries perform better when they remain charged. Um, some older types of batteries lasted longer when you fully drained them before ch recharging to 100%, but you really don't need that. They don't have this cell memory like the older battery uh, rechargeable batteries do. Um, I, I mean, the thing about this is, I mean, it's kind of... In some cases, you're going to have your battery run out, and that's totally fine, but it's also totally fine if you don't let it run down and you do put it back on charge at night or whatever. Um, the trickle charge is best for the battery, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, it's based about the cycles, which we talked about before. You know, your battery going from 100 to 50 and then being charged from 50 back up to 100 and then dropping back down to 50, that's one cycle in the same way that 100 to zero is. I think uh, that the, cur the current wisdom now is that like 80% is about the max you should charge your phone to. I want to say both Android and iPhone uh, iOS now have a feature where like on, on an iPhone, if you, if you have your alarm set for whatever time and your phone is plugged in overnight, it'll like know that you're going to be getting up around that time. So it won't like fully charge your phone to 100% until it, just before you're going to get up um, because charging it over that 80% number is like the magic number to where it's not using as much of a cycle or something like that. Um, I don't know how much wisdom there is to that, but there's a couple apps on Android that help you do that too. Yeah. Bluetooth and Wi-Fi Direct kill your battery. Uh, I mean, there was a time when it was kind of battery intensive with very large files, but who transfers very large files wirelessly? I know people do. Let's not pretend that they don't. But uh, these days, that's not an issue. Uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi Direct... You know, we've got better battery capacity. We've got uh, smarter uh, network capabilities with those technologies. It's not really a problem unless you're really doing something. To do. I mean, maybe you No, it's just not going to happen unless you, you know, try and download a server or something. The, on the only thing I can see that would clarify this is if you have like an Apple Watch or a smartwatch or similar connected to your phone on with Bluetooth and it's constantly downloading apps or sending things back and forth then that might use more battery but the simple act of having bluetooth turned on and not doing anything is going to use almost no battery do higher phone specs mean better performance ben 
in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. A lot of the time, especially with Android phones, because Apple doesn't really release specs much for iPhone, a lot of the time with Android phones, the manufacturers will list you know, how much RAM the phone has and how many megapixels the camera is and things like that. A lot of that is just kind of marketing. Like They want to say that there's 12 cameras or they want to say that there's X megapixels, but if the phone doesn't focus clearly or it doesn't handle dark images well and, and when there's no light, that's not really great. So yeah, stats, I mean, specs matter, you know, obviously uh, a $500 phone is going to usually be better than a $100 phone, um, but that it's not everything, and a phone can be really great because the software is well optimized without having insanely high specs. The only charger you should be using is the one that came with your phone, oh no, yeah, I mean, I'm, there is some truth to this in that you could quite easily end up going to a uh, local store thrift store, whatever, and uh, buying the really terrible quality charge cable that doesn't do the job very well or breaks very quickly. And the ones that ship with your device are usually better quality. Then again, we're talking about a device that's getting charged every day, potentially, sometimes more than that. And if you're going to be plugging it in regularly, you know, it stands to reason you should be using a decent cable. So stay away from the very cheap ones you don't have to rely on the one that shipped with it but if you're going to buy a replacement buy something that's quality yeah that's definitely you're right there's definitely a happy medium you don't if you have an iphone you don't have to buy an expensive cable from apple but you shouldn't buy that's something i would never buy at like a dollar store like you said because they're just so junky unless it's an absolute emergency you're on a road trip and you forgot your cable or something but there's a lot of good brands like anchor that that sell like three packs so you can or, or five packs and you can just kind of yeah. scatter them around your house and then you have a high quality charger to use everywhere but you definitely don't have to stick with the best one we've got some nice uh sort of uh um cotton-bound, fabric-bound cables, which uh, tend to be hardier than the plastic ones. Yeah, I have some braided cables too, and I yeah, agree. That's you can kind of yeah. th throw them. It's not the right word, but you can kind of throw them around more, and they're not like that brittle plastic that breaks right on the, the connector part. Absolutely. Now then, do I need to apologize to my phone, Ben, because it says here that charging your phone overnight kills the battery? I don't know if you need to apologize. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe in an email like we learned about a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, that's another one that's not really true. It's kind of like a, it was another one I would file under like it was true at one point, but isn't really the case now. Um, older batteries didn't quite know when they were full, um, so they would kind of overcharge or they would like drop and recharge. Um, I would say if you have to make a choice, probably better to not charge it overnight because of what we talked about before with the 80% and all that, but it's not going to hurt it to do that. Um, most of them know how to like drop and then trickle charge back up. So it's not like it's you're heating it up because it's on 100% all night. Number seven, apps downloaded from Google Play or Apple App Store are completely safe. This is, of course, nonsense, as we've found in numerous occasions recently. Uh, there are bad people developing apps that appear to be innocent, and these apps are getting permissions on phones to then collect data about how you use your phone and you and personal details as well. Uh, this has happened repeatedly, particularly, it's happened with Apple, but it's happened repeatedly on Google Play. And um, basically anywhere you get an APK installation file for Android is has a level of risk to it. So stick with, on both platforms, stick with trusted developers. 
with good reputations and a good set of reviews. And if it's a new app, wait until you've seen some good reviews. And don't download stuff that's a lot of, when you see these lists of like, Google just removed 25 apps from the app, from the Play yeah. Store that are malware. It's all like shady wallpaper apps and like just junk, like scammy looking solitaire. There's, there's better versions of pretty much all this stuff. So if it looks like a scammy one that barely anybody uses, it probably is a problem. Ben, I am an evil perpetrator on CSI or NCIS or a movie, or I've been wrongly accused and someone is chasing me. I've decided to turn off my phone, remove the SIM card, and put it in airplane mode. Can I be tracked? Yes, you can, because that's not a 100%. There's a lot of radios in your phone that airplane mode or turning it off don't don't turn off. Um, so airplane mode, I think we discussed this before airplane mode basically turns off all the wireless radios in your phone. Um, so Wi-Fi turns off your cellular connection turns off, usually Bluetooth turns off, but you can actually have Wi-Fi and or Bluetooth turned on in airplane mode. And some phones now, like if you are using Bluetooth and you turn Wi-Fi off, it keeps Bluetooth turned on. So you don't disconnect your headphones or whatever. Um, GPS is the big one that's not affected by airplane mode on pretty much any phone. So GPS isn't a wireless radio. Um, so having that still turned on means your phone could be tracked. Um, your SIM also, there's there's identifiers in your phone that don't require your SIM card. And also there are features like Apple's Find My iPhone network or Find My network now, I guess it is, can detect where your phone is based on it coming into contact with other Apple devices, which is something they introduced when the AirTag came out. Um, now, those other people don't know that they're walking by Ben Stegner's phone or whatever, but they know that it'll, it'll update the location with Apple. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of ways that your phone can be tracked, even if you think it's turned off and hidden yeah you could remove the battery and you could ditch the phone or you could uh, stick it in a lead block or a faraday cage just for all you uh screenwriters spies. out there yeah and, <laughs> and, and and genuine spies maybe yeah uh automatic brightness settings save battery that isn't true the idea is that using the onboard light center of a smartphone can automatically calibrate the ideal brightness setting to save power but in fact it might save you a tiny bit of battery by dimming your screen when appropriate, but the light sensor uses more power over the day by constantly pinging the CPU to process the data it collects and decides if a lower or higher brightness setting is appropriate. I didn't know that one. That's really interesting. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Um, that's that's probably something. I wouldn't say this is like a massive battery concern. I would say it's best for just use whatever you value more with between convenience and eking out every last bit of your battery. If you're constantly changing locations during the day and it's sunny outside and then you're inside and all that and you don't want to have to worry about opening the quick menu on your phone and changing the brightness i don't think you're going to be like draining massive amounts of battery to have auto brightness but like anything else anything that takes power on your phone is going to require the battery and really it would probably the screen is one of the biggest drainers on your phone so yeah. it probably it takes more battery to have your phone at a super high brightness all day than it does for it to check every once in a while and adjust so yeah, Whether yeah. you do it through automatic brightness or manual, lower your brightness if you're looking to save battery is the takeaway yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this one's, I had to mute to uh, have a little bit of a chuckle whilst I was reading this next one there. The open source nature of Android makes it more prone to vulnerabilities. Now, this is quite an interesting myth because most people don't know that Android has anything is open source. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it more prone to vulnerabilities. Any operating system, any software can be prone to vulnerabilities. 
and uh, Android is remarkably secure. In fact, I think I'm, you know, Android is derived from Linux, and I'm guessing, you know, it is aside from web servers, it is the widest. In fact, it's probably more widely used on web servers. So it's probably the most secure version of Linux, and I guess that makes it the most secure operating system on the planet, really. Yeah, well, Android's more popular than Windows, I think, just yeah. based on raw. But that includes like Android being installed on like smart phones, like, like smart boxes, smart and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. just phones, but yeah. No. But um, yeah, I I guess you're right because probably I would say the reason for that is that Android has more built-in protection out of the box than even like Linux. Because I'm not that there's a ton of Linux malware, but I mean, you could in theory. Down, down, install Linux, open up your browser, and download some malware like that. Whereas on Android, there's a few steps in place to prevent you from doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, I, I guess the key with this myth is that open source doesn't mean insecure. It's the fact that Android lets you install apps from anywhere, whereas iOS doesn't. Um, another really big key factor too is that iPhone apps are sandboxed, which means that even if you had a malicious app, like it can't. If you don't give it permission to access your contacts, for example, like an app just can't randomly decide to read data from another app, um, yeah. whereas that's a little bit less restricted on Android, That's which is another factor too. So as usual, it all comes down to what you download and where you get it from. Your computer, and indeed pretty much any other electrical device that you're using, say from your oven, I suppose, and wait, your oven probably has some as well, actually. Um, pretty much all electrical devices have RAM. Well, there's a lot of things about RAM that you think you might know that aren't necessarily true. Now, this is really a PC-based uh, guide to do with random access memory. That's your RAM. That is a basic component of a computer or a smartphone. And it is where information is stored by your processor so that your processor can get on to do with other tasks, usually related, but not always, and then bring the information back. But actual physical RAM devices, there's a bit of confusion about what you can and can't do with them, isn't there, in PCs? Yeah, absolutely. You hear an awful lot of stuff surrounding RAM um, that's sometimes true, sometimes isn't. And it's because of the nature of what it is. It's a computer hardware component. So it's easy to get quite muddled. Even even I still get a little bit confused from time to time when, <gasps> uh, yes. when trying to like install some new RAM. We're trying to buy some online, you know, if you've not done it for a while and the standards have changed, you get a bit bit out of sync with what's going on. So, you know, it, it can't be helped, I think. So um, there's various things here, uh, such as you can't mix RAM sizes or brands. Is that true? No, you can mix them if you want, uh, and you can mix RAM brands if you want, but there's a, there's more a yes with a but. <laughs> mm. So if you don't match your RAM, uh, and that could be the speed or the size of the RAM, uh, and even actually sometimes down to the, the serial number, uh, which I found out the, the, the wrong way, which was deeply irritating, but moving on from that, mm. if you do match them together, you are likely to get a much better overall level of performance than if you mix and match uh, yeah, brands and speeds and whatever. So yes, you can do it. No, you probably shouldn't. Okay. I don't need more RAM or my system has enough RAM. Uh, again, if your system is running out of RAM, then no, you don't have enough RAM. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, if you go to you know your local computer shop and the computer salesman says, "Here's a here's a computer with uh, say eight gigabytes of RAM and it's a Windows 11 machine or what have you," 
um, you are these days highly likely to probably start running out of RAM. That's just the way that computers are now. They're not as technically as efficient as they were in the very old days. We have more access to RAM, so computers and developers tend to just be a bit more liberal with how much RAM they want to use. And as such, um, if you think you don't have enough RAM or you, the system has enough RAM already, uh, it could be worth considering your system specs, looking at the programs that you're using, um, especially if you run into that age-old problem of my computer doesn't feel fast. Uh, and that's often one of the reasons behind it, because you don't have enough RAM to hold all the programs that you have open and want to use uh, concurrently. So is RAM size all that matters? Oh, now this is a really interesting one. So RAM size, <clears throat> excuse me, RAM size, um, we're talking about, we're not talking about definitely the, the actual size in terms of memory. Um, so between eight gigabytes and 16 gigabytes of RAM, you will probably see a significant increase in um, speed because the amount of capacity your computer has to hold information from different programs together dramatically increases paired with the size of ram is the speed of ram so you can buy faster ram as well uh, and that's maybe a talk for another day uh, without getting really into the nuts and bolts of how ram works but generally if you have more ram you can expect a faster experience okay and there's this idea that if you clear your RAM, you can boost the speed of your device. Oh, okay. So this is one that's like a big myth, and it's a big no-no. You want your system RAM on your computer to be... I won't say full to the brim, because then you are going to start running into the issue that we discussed a moment ago, which is where you don't have enough RAM. But you do want the RAM on your system to be holding information pertinent to the programs that you're going to be using. So if you spend all of your time clearing the RAM, as they say, uh, you're just removing information relevant to the programs that you are using. And your computer will just go, oh, it's empty. I better fill it up again. So you're not saving any time to do anything else. You're just making your computer refill it and refill it and refill it, which um, can end up slowing things down considerably. Um, the other thing as well I would, I would add to that is that a lot of the programs that say we will clean your RAM and we will boost your RAM are snake oil at best and could actually be malware at worst. So really really steer clear of those you must use an equal number of ram sticks okay so this is similar to the first one this is a no you don't but probably yes you should because the way that ram works um most ram that we have these days works in what's called a dual channel mode which means that it works most effectively when there's two of them so that's why you tend to buy RAM in a pair of sticks. Say you had eight gigabytes of RAM, you would have two four gigabyte modules. You'd put them in the first and the third or the second and the fourth lane, depending on your configuration on your motherboard, uh, and they will work very happily together. Now, you absolutely could throw another stick of RAM in there. You, it would work completely fine, but your 
existing RAM would default to the lowest speed of the three modules installed. So if you installed another module that ran at a lower speed than the other two, all three sticks of RAM would run at the lowest speed. So it's another one that's, yeah, you can, and you will get the benefit of the larger capacity, but it may run slower than you were expecting. So it's a bit of a seeing what works for you. Okay, and uh, finally, this is a strange myth. You cannot upgrade the RAM on a laptop. Ah, you yeah, can. so this is another interesting one, though, isn't it? Because although um, on most laptops you can flip them over, take the back off, and you can get into the nuts and bolts of it, um, you can upgrade the la uh, RAM on the laptop. But most people think, or oh, maybe you can't, because it's like an integrated thing, isn't it? And laptops seem a little bit more, a little bit more technical and a little bit more scary than a than a computer in some ways. The only issue is, is that some computers, uh, particularly sort of lower budget uh, uh, and Chromebooks, for instance, may come with soldered RAM, and that's you know RAM that's literally soldered to the motherboard, and there's yeah. nothing you can do about that. Um, I mean, I mean, there probably is if you're really technically minded, but for the most part, for most people, myself, definitely myself, well included in that, <laughs> I'm not getting involved with trying to desolder RAM from a motherboard. That's a fair point. Okay, we'll move on. As you may have guessed, we're on a bit of a summer break on the Really Useful Podcast, which is why we're using uh, unheard material from my colleagues Ben and Gavin now, rather than uh, showing it at the time. And that's why there's no news in this episode. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to subscribe to the show if you don't already. It doesn't mean that you don't need to share anything that you've heard that your friends and family may find beneficial or even followers on Twitter or any other social network. And it doesn't mean that uh, if you're so inclined, you don't get out of leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that last thing, let us know and uh, we may even read it out. Myself, Christian Corley, Ben Stegner and Gavin Phillips will be back for more really useful podcasts soon. Until then, all the best to you and we'll see you next time.